Lord, help me say the words you'd have me to say. And Lord, we love you in your precious name, I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we're there in Acts chapter number 6. In Acts chapter number 6, uh, we, we find for the first time in the Bible the subject of the deacons. And, and they chose the church there in Jerusalem, chose deacons for the first time. And I want to just uh, have a study tonight out of Acts chapter number 6, but on the subject of the office of a deacon. The office of a deacon and what the Bible teaches in regards to deacons and, uh, and, and what the Bible uh, says. Like, like I said there, we, we saw there where they picked out the deacons and they had deacons for the first time in the church. And I just want to bring a few points out to you. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized. I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong verse. Uh, Acts 6, 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Now the first question we got to ask is this. When does a church need deacons? When does a church need deacons? And so, you know, often people ask me a question like, oh, do you have any deacons at your church? And I, was, and I say, no, we have no deacons. And they'll say, why not? You know, you need to pick out some guys and you need to make them deacons. Well, the reason we have no deacons at Verity Baptist Church as of yet is because I don't believe we need any. Uh, the Bible says that they, uh, if you look there at verse 1, it says the number of the disciples was multiplied. So this church is a growing church. It's, it, it's multiplying and, and, and uh, things are getting a little uh, out of hand as, as far as the workload. So they picked out people to help them with that load. Now, if you go back to Acts chapter number 2, look at verse number 41. Acts chapter number 2 and verse 41 you say, this is a growing church. Well, how big is this growing church? Well, let's see. Acts chapter number 2 and verse 41. It's a verse that I was accidentally reading a second ago. Acts 2.41 says, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Alright? So we started Acts chapter number 1. If you remember when they were there in that upper room, we started with a church of 120. Jesus started the church back with uh, 12 disciples, and He grew to thousands of people. And if you remember in John 6, He had a church split to the point where He was back down to His 12 disciples. You, you know, that, that doesn't make me feel so, so bad when I look at the church of, you know, the growth of our church. Jesus had thousands of people, literally thousands of people. I mean, Acts, uh, John 5, He fed 5,000. I, I want to say it's John 5, maybe I'm wrong with that. But He fed 5,000 men, not including women and children. And in Acts 6, he preaches a hard sermon, and the church splits. And he looks at his disciples and says, you know, he says are, are you also going to leave? So he gets down to 12. And then we see he grows it back up to about 70. And then by the time uh, the day of Pentecost comes, the church is about 120. But after the day of Pentecost, they grew to 3,000 souls, is what the Bible says. Look at verse 47, Acts 2, 47. It says, after that, because 3,000 souls, they had more than 3,000 saved, but they had 3,000 souls were added unto the church. That's how much their church grew. So, so 3,000 people were saved, baptized, and they said, this is our church. They, they joined the church. They decided, this is our church, and they became part of that local congregation. Look at verse 47, Acts 2.47, praising God, it says, and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So we see there that they, they had 120, they grew to 3,000, and then after that, God's adding to the church daily. You say, how is it that God's adding to the church daily? Well, do you remember, uh, we talked about this, I think, last week or the week before that. It says, daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Say, how, how did they add to the church daily? Well, here's how they added to the church daily. They were all soul winning daily. They were out sowing every day of the week. It says daily in the temple in every house. So as they went out, knocking on doors, getting people 
people saved? Because obviously they've got 3,000 members, so they probably have a, a good number of soul winners out. They're getting people saved, and, they're, and God's adding to the church daily. You know, I would love one day for our church to grow to the place where we literally have a group of soul winners out every week. You know, I have like a Monday night soul winning, Tuesday night soul winning. And that way people can go out whenever it fits their schedule. But, uh, you know, that's one of our goals. One of my personal goals is to one day... Our church be to a point where we have somebody from our church out knocking doors every day, just like they did in the in the New Testament church. But you see, there God's adding daily. Every day He's adding one person, two people, three people. Go to Acts chapter number four. Look at verse number forty-four. Acts four. I'm sorry, verse four. Acts four four says this. Acts chapter number four and verse four says, "Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about five thousand. So you see there, they had another great day where five thousand people believed. Five thousand men. Look at uh, Acts five fourteen. Acts chapter number five and verse fourteen. Acts five fourteen says, and believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes." both of men and women. So we see there that, again, God added great numbers to this church. Multitudes were added. And then that brings us to Acts 6.1 where we were. And it says that in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. So God says that in Acts 6.1, you take the number they had, you know, 3,000 plus 5,000, plus they were adding to the church, plus they added multitudes. We don't know what that number. And then He multiplied that. So you see it's a really large church. I mean, thousands of people. And they decided we need deacons. Now, you know, what I think is funny is that I've been to churches that run 100 people and got 7 deacons. Church in Jerusalem had, I mean, at least, probably 10, 000, at least 10,000, maybe 20,000 people, you know, who claimed this as their church. And they had 7 deacons, you know. So, you, we get away, and, and the, the subject of the office of the deacon to me is funny is because we get so far away from the Bible. And you see there, when do you need deacons? Do, do we need a deacon at Verity Baptist Church? Why? <laughs> For what reason? You know, maybe one day once we're growing to the place, we will add deacons, but at this point we don't need them. You say, Pastor Man, why is, it, why is uh, our church not growing like this? Well, uh, let me ask you this. Are you out going soul winning daily every day? <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not out daily every day. You know, I try to be out as much as I can, but you know, that's how churches grow. That's how local, New Testament, independent, fundamental, Baptist, you know, King James only churches grow. Uh, you know, new, new evangelical churches and liberal churches grow uh, by having rock concerts, you know. But, but uh, uh, a local church that's trying to be biblical goes, uh, grows through uh, soul winning and, and knocking on doors and inviting people to church and stuff like that. But you see, there, it's a large church. But not only is it, you say, now, now, let me answer this question. Do I necessarily believe that our church has to be running 20,000 before we have a church, uh, deacon? No. Because another reason they added, if you look at verse number 1 again, it says in those days uh, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So you see there, they had daily ministration or daily ministry or administration that needed to be taken care of and, and they were neglecting. Alright? So, I believe a church needs to add deacons at the point where it grows to... Once it grows to the place where certain things are being neglected. Now, they had 12 apostles that were the leader of the church. So, obviously, 12 apostles can handle a bigger workload than one pastor. You know, there are no more apostles today. The Bible says that... Uh, that uh, 
Paul was the last apostle. So if you drive down a Pentecostal, you know, sometimes I drive down the road, I see these Pentecostal churches, that's apostle so-and-so, you know, and it's like, no, no, no. Yeah, you know, Paul was the last apostle, is what the Bible says. There are no more apostles. This church had 12 apostles as the leader there. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously there was a leader. I believe James was the pastor of the church there, um, you know, but... That's neither here nor there. But they had 12 apostles, they had thousands of people, they, and they were neglecting some work. Some things were not getting done, and uh, so they decided they needed to add uh, disciples. Well, the point, uh, deacons. But the point is this. A church needs to add deacons once the church is growing to the place where the workload is overwhelming the leadership, and things are being neglected, and then they add deacons in order to help with that. Now you say, um, what is a deacon, or what is the offices of, of the church? Go with me to First uh, Timothy chapter number 3. 1 Timothy chapter number 3. And tonight's going to be very much like a Bible study and just uh, studying out the subject of deacons. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter number 3, look at verse number 1. There are two offices mentioned in the Bible uh, for the church. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse 1, it says, this is a true saying. If a man desire the, notice what it says, office of a bishop, he desires the good work. That bishop is also referred to as a pastor, also referred to as an elder. It's all the same thing. But you have there the office of a bishop, or the office of a uh, pastor, the office of an elder. And it says, this is a true saying, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Drop down to verse number 13. You find the second office. First Timothy chapter number 3 and verse 13, it says, For they that have used the office of a deacon will purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So you see there, we believe that the local New Testament church has two ordained offices by God, and that is the office of a pastor and the office of a deacon. Now, again... Verity Baptist Church is a fundamental church. That means we, we believe the Bible. We believe in the fundamentals of the Bible. I, we do not want to get away from uh, you know what the Bible says. And at our church, we will never have any office or position you know, of leadership that is not the position of a pastor or a deacon. So often churches today will have, you know, the secretary of this and the treasurer of that and, and these just made up positions and they're not bad people who are doing it, but they're just not found in the Bible. God spells out for us exactly what He wants and He says there's the office of a bishop and there's the office of a deacon and that's the only positions we will ever have because that's what God says. So you see that those are very biblical positions, those of a bishop and a deacon. Now, go back to Acts uh, chapter number 6, but maybe keep something there in 1 Timothy because uh, we're going to be going back to 1 Timothy. Uh, so maybe put your bulletin there or something. But look at verse number 2. Acts chapter number 6 and verse number 2, you say, what is the purpose of deacons? What is the point of having them? Well, if you look at verse 2, the Bible says, the 12, first, let's answer this. What, what is the purpose of a pastor? Because really, Acts chapter number 6, you've got to think about this. Acts 6 is really telling us how the workload of a church or the manpower of a church should be split. And in verse 2 we find what a pastor should be doing. Look at how the uh, apostles responded. They say, they said, Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So they're saying, it's not, they're saying what you're asking us to do with these widows. It's not a good reason for us to leave the Word of God. Look at verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of holy ghosts and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves... Notice what they say. 
we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, a full-time pastor who's getting a paycheck from the church ought to spend his time in the Word of God, in prayer, and in the ministry of the Word. Now, at Verity Baptist Church, I'm not a full-time pastor. You say, why are you not a full-time pastor? Because finances aren't available to be a full-time pastor. Uh, you say, is that, is that a sin? Well, you know, Paul went around starting churches and acting as a pastor of those churches while he was starting them. And we're told that Paul, you know, when the money wasn't there, he was building tents on the side. So we know it's a biblical thing to have a pastor who's working a side job or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But one day when, uh, when this church does grow and maybe I do take a full-time salary, you say, what, what are you going to be doing? How are you going to be spending your days? Here's what I'm going to spend my days. In the Word of God, in prayer, and in the ministry of the Word. Uh, go back to, I told you we're going to go back to, to verse Timothy, but go back to 2 Timothy, chapter number 4. Look at verse number 1. 2 Timothy 4.1. You say, what is that? Well, obviously being in the Word is just studying the Bible, uh, uh, reading the Bible, writing sermons. I know you may not believe it, but it takes time to write a sermon. <laughs> it takes time to prepare, you know. Especially, you know, uh, the type of sermons that I try to preach, because, you know, the average pastor, uh, you listen to them preach. I've, you know, I, I've been to many churches growing up. And a lot of times the pastor gets up. I've, I've literally been to church where a pastor reads one verse, gets up for the next 40 minutes, just blah, 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 just whatever they think, whatever their opinion. You know, where I, you know, and I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to the best of my ability when I preach a sermon to just hit it from every angle, you know, when we're dealing with any subject, whatever, you know, try to find exactly what the Bible says about that. Oftentimes when I'm studying about just like one subject, I'll read every verse in the Bible in regards to that. You know, that takes time. It takes time to read your Bible. It takes time to study. So that's what a pastor should be spending his time doing. He should be spending time praying, but also the ministry of the Word. I believe I was talking about soul winning. Let me, but let me prove to you from 2 Timothy 4.1. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. In 2 Timothy we find Paul who's writing a letter to Timothy, uh, a young preacher who he's training for the ministry. And look what he says. He says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Notice what he tells him. He says, preach the word. So he's telling him, look, you got to be preaching the Bible. Be instant, in season, out of season. He's saying it doesn't matter if it's popular or not. It doesn't matter if it's politically correct or not. He said you preach it whether it's popular, whether they agree, whether they like it. He says preach it in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. And notice what he says, and doctrine. So he says, look, when you preach to your church, Timothy, I want you to preach sermons that are popular and things that aren't popular. You know, I'm always wary about a pastor. If, if I listen to somebody regularly and they're never preaching something that's controversial or maybe upsetting to people, I just think to myself, well, they're not preaching in season and out of season. You know, they're just preaching what happens to be in season, if it happens to be popular. But he says, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering, yeah, he says, and doctrine. You know, as a, as a pastor, you've got to learn long-suffering. You've got to learn patience. Because often, you know, you'll preach something, you'll prove from the Bible. And people, you know, sometimes it just takes people like seven times to hear something before it even clicks. You know, it's funny to me, I, I'll, I'll preach sermons, uh, it just, and I'm not even talking about doctrine. I'll, I'll talk about how, like, I don't own a television. I'll literally tell people, I don't watch TV. I don't own television. And it'll just, like, go over their head. 
And I'll say it like two or three times, and people, and people say, oh, do you watch, you know, this and this? And I'm like, no, no, I don't have a TV. And they're like, oh, yeah, you told me that. And then like the next week, they're like, oh, did you catch this on the news? I'm like, I don't have a TV. But eventually, like after saying it like seven times, people realize, oh, you don't have a TV? You know, this is how people are. You know, get a marketing book. I think Brother Hudson and I were talking about this. People got to, you know, they, they talk in marketing, you know, people got to watch, you know, your commercial or listen to your advertising or see your billboard seven times before it really clicks. So that's just how people are, you know. So, so you got to learn that long suffering. Sometimes you got to, you know, preach about certain subjects, you know. I, I, this is how I, I think to myself, you know, I'll pre- it'll, it'll take me seven times to preach on this doctrine before people start really even thinking about it, you know. So that's long suffering and doctrine. When we preach, we ought to have doctrine. That's teaching. That's teaching you the Bible. You know, I, I, I never preach a sermon without teaching. And I never teach without preaching. You know, we, you know, we have these names of Wednesday night Bible study, Sunday morning topical sermon, and Sunday night preaching. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it's the same thing. <laughs> Every time it's the same thing. It's just reading the Bible, going through the Bible, preaching the Bible. You know, it's the same thing. We're teaching, we're preaching, and all of them. You know, we give them cute names to make people feel better, but it's really the same thing. It's just the Word of God being preached. But uh, notice what he says he's in, in verse number 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction. So he's telling them, hey, preach the Bible. You know, it doesn't matter if they don't like it. It doesn't matter if they turn away. He says, endure affliction. And then look what he says. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. So he says, not only that, Timothy, I want you to do the work of an evangelist. You say, what's an evangelist? Is an evangelist a guy that, you know, uh, goes around from church to church preaching? Well, that's what we call them today, and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't, I don't have a problem with that terminology. But an evangelist, you know, evangelizing is going out and getting people saved. There's soul in it. It's preaching the gospel, you know. I, I don't have an issue with, with evangelists who go from city to city preaching as long as they're soul winning along the way, you know, as long as they're preaching the gospel to sinners along the way. And, that, and, and he tells them, do the work of an evangelist. Go out and preach the gospel. So what should a pastor spend his time doing, biblically? Reading in the Bible, studying the Bible, memorizing the Bible, praying, and then doing the ministry of the Word. Doing the work of an evangelist. Getting people saved. That's what a pastor should spend his time doing. So why did they choose deacons? Go back to Acts chapter number 6. Look at verse 1. Acts 6, 1. Why did they choose deacons? And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied... There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected. Now you got to understand, the Grecians are murmuring against the Hebrews because the widows of the Grecians are being neglected. They don't feel like they're getting the, the priority they need, the, 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 the attention they need. And, and part of church is taking care of other people. You know, and especially widows, you know, the elderly ladies um, that meet the qualifications that First Timothy gives us for those widows that should be taken care of. But they said they were being neglected in the daily menstruation. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. I want you to make note of that word tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayers and the ministry of the Word. So the apostles chose deacons to take care of, listen, take care of those daily administrative things that needed to get done so that they did not have to neglect the Word of God's soul winning prayer. 
you understand that? The deacons were chosen to be able to take care of the daily ministration. They wanted to appoint them over this business in order to take care of the widows, take care of the things that the apostles did not have time to take care of. And they said, look, uh, anybody can serve tables. Now, we don't just allow anybody to do anything at church, because even though anybody could serve tables, the Bible gives us very clear qualifications of a deacon, and we'll look at those in a second. But he says, you know, other people can take care of that. We need to be in the Bible. We need to be soul winning. We need to be reading, uh, studying the Bible. We need to be praying. So we're going to choose these deacons in order to take care of the daily ministration, because the church has grown to the place where we just aren't able to take care of everything that needs to be taken care of. That's the purpose of the deacons. Now, go back to 1 Timothy chapter number 3, look at verse number 8. Let me just real quickly show you the qualifications of a deacon. 1 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse 8. In the beginning part of 1 Timothy 3 gives us the qualifications of a pastor. We'll skip those because we're not dealing with that subject right now. But the qualifications of a deacon mirror the qualifications of a pastor. The same qualifications. Look at 1 Timothy 3.8. He says, likewise. Because we just got done talking about the qualifications of a pastor, and he says, likewise, in the same way, must the deacons be great. That's talking about being serious. Not double-tongued, not given too much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in pure conscience, and let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be great. Notice there's qualifications for their wives. Not slander, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. So could they be divorced? No. Husband of one wife. You get divorced and remarried, guess what? According to God, you're the husband of two wives. So he says, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. So those are the qualifications, very well-known qualifications for deacons. And often many independent fundamental Baptist churches follow those qualifications uh, very well. Usually, if you go to a church, the deacons won't be a drunkard. The deacon won't be divorced. The deacon will be someone who's proven themselves to be a faithful person in the church. But there's more qualifications than, than just those. Go back to Acts 6. Three. Look at Acts 6.3. In Acts 6.3, they gave us other qualifications. And unfortunately, the qualifications in Acts chapter number 6 and verse 3, I think oftentimes are uh, just, you know, forgotten about. But Acts 6.3 tells us that the deacon says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye among you, seven men of honest report, look what it says, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So not only do they have to be, you know, married to one wife, not only do they have to be not drunkards, not only do they have to be not greedy, filthy lucre, not only do they have to have a pure conscience, be blameless, you know, uh, prove themselves, they also have to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now that's important. You've got to understand that. Because they, they, they needed to be filled with the Holy Ghost, and you'll see here in a little bit, the deacons, a biblical deacon. And the deacons that we find today in the average churches are just, are, are completely opposite. I'll tell you the, the honest truth. I believe that in the Bible, the deacons that we find in the Bible were full-time employees of the church. Closer to what today we call like the assistant pastor or the associate pastor, today churches... In the average independent fundamental Baptist church, I don't know about other churches, I don't care about other churches, I don't consider them other churches. But, you know, in, in, in what I consider a church, an independent, fundamental, soul-winning, King James Bible-believing Baptist church, 
Usually, what they have as deacons today is a position that's not even mentioned in the Bible. And here's how it works for the most part. You'll have a deacon board, and what they'll have is they'll have this board, this group of laymen, is what they call them. You know, these people who are not in full-time ministry, they're faithful men. They're not bad people, but they're faithful men, they're like business owners, they work out, you know, they just have regular jobs. They're not in full-time ministry, they're not preachers. And they choose these deacons, and then what the deacons are is like, they handle like the finances for the church. Or they'll like, they, and, and here's how most, and I'm going to read something for you in a second, it'll be clear to you. They'll, they'll be, most churches will consider the deacon almost like, like Congress. Like they'll think of the pastor as like the president, and then like the deacon board is like Congress, where they kind of like, balance each other out. It's like checks and balances. Like the deacon board is supposed to keep the pastor in check and make sure that he doesn't do anything. You know, and often it's sad, but you hear of these churches where the deacons are just at war with the pastor. I mean, that's not what we find in, 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 in Acts chapter number 6. We don't find these deacons just checking the pastor and, and you know, uh, they have to approve what the money goes to and all this and that. Uh, and I want to read to you something, just, just so you understand. I'm, uh, I've got a little excerpt here that I'd like to read. And I'm reading from a book called The Hiles Church Manual. Now, let me, let me make a few statements. Jack Hiles, who wrote this book, is a great preacher. He's one of my heroes. I'll tell you the honest I don't have... Uh, he's not an enemy of mine. I, I like Jack House. I've listened to thousands of sermons of Jack House. Uh, he's one of my heroes of the faith. Uh, you will not find an, uh, a, a greater soul winner, you know, in our time than Jack House. I mean, I, I know of pastors who are running 3,000 who said they were taught soul winning by Jack House. Jack House is a great preacher of God, um, but he's not right on, wasn't right on everything. And the reason I'm using him as an example is because his church is so, this book is so popular. The House Church Manual is a, a, a book that he wrote to help pastors out. Uh, and it's a manual to just kind of help you. And there's a lot of good stuff in it. He, he, he has chapters in there about how to properly run a funeral, how to properly run a, a wedding ceremony, a lot of good stuff, you know. But there's a chapter in there about deacons, and I want to just read it for you. And again, Jack House is not my enemy. But I just want to read it for you because it, it entails so much about how deacons are treated today. And I'm reading for you from uh, chapter number 6. It's called the, De- the Deacon Board. And the subject is the deacons from the nominating committee. Let me just read for you so you understand how most churches think of deacons. It says, each deacon is asked to bring a list of ten men. They're talking about how they nominate new deacons, right? It says, each deacon is asked to bring a list of ten men in the church whom he feels would make good deacon material. These ten men are listed and brought to the deacons meeting early in the calendar year. The pastor writes the name of each man in his rec- that is recommended by the deacons on the blackboard. Oftentimes, we have as many as 75 or 100 names listed on the back on the back. Now, uh, keep in mind, Jack Howell's church is a humongous church. I mean, I, I think I want to say they, at this time, they were like twenty thousand. Probably very similar to the church in Jerusalem, but you see, they have like sixty some odd deacons. The church in Jerusalem had seven deacons, so you see, there's a difference. It says, then the name of it, uh, then the name is called orally. And the deacons bow their heads, pray about whether they uh, feel the man should run for deacon or not, and then we vote. Unless a man receives a unanimous vote from our present deacons, uh, he cannot run for the office of deacon for the year. In other words, the pastor and each deacon have veto power. We presently have 66 men serving as deacons at, in the First Baptist Church of Hammond. For a man to run for the office of deacon, he has to have 67 affirmative votes, 66 from the deacons, and one from the pastor. With heads bowed and eyes closed, the pastor says, Is any person here ready to vote this 
this particular to vote to veto this particular man. If the deacon, uh, if a deacon lifts his hand, the man is vetoed and does not run for deacon. We do not ask the man why he vetoed this prospect. He simply lifts his hand. At the meeting, we do not discuss the merit or demerit of, it, of men of the church. Nor word, uh, no word of criticism is given. He simply is accept, accepted or uh, vetoed. Now let me skip down a few chapters, and then so that's how they choose who can run for deacons. Then it says, uh, and this is. Jack Howell's trying to teach young preachers. Here's how you should uh, pick deacons. Let me read for you this uh, excerpt. It says, the, the, the subject is, the church approves those who run. It says, when the men have been passed unanimously by our present deacons, and have agreed themselves to run for the office of deacon, then their names are presented to the church at a regular monthly business meeting. The church approves them as candidates for deacons. Bear in mind... This does not elect them as a deacon, but simply approves them to run for the office of deacon. We usually have several more running than we have offices to fill. For example, if we have 20 vacancies, we may have 25 or 30 men running. This gives the people a choice. Shortly after the church approves these men to run, a ballot is made and an election is held. We keep the polls open between 6 o'clock and 7.30 on a particular Wednesday night. The people come between 6 and 7.30, receive their ballots, and cast their votes at the polls. If we have... 20 offices available, and if 25 names are listed, each person is asked to put a a check beside 20 of the 25 names. These represent the men they feel should be deacons for the new year. Those with the highest number of votes, of course, become deacons in our church. And then they run for deacon. They're they're elected for three years, and then they have to give up the position, and they're just constantly cycling. Now look, I like Jack House. Jack House is a good guy. I'm, I'm not against Jack House. But i got to ask you this question. You know, if you write a book for preachers, and people have given me this book, you know, and then, then i got to ask this question. Where in the world do you find that in the Bible? I mean, I, I, I'm sure Congress, you know, has rules in regards to, you know, but that's the thing. You, you'd be surprised how many churches across this country are literally running many elections, having polls and writing ballots and writing this, you know, and they're choosing this office, they're choosing that. And I, and I just got to ask you a question. Show me that in the Bible. Show me in the book of Acts where they had ballots and where they, you know, you know chose this. In the book of Acts, you find these men and you notice they have the same qualifications as the pastor. You notice, we'll see here in a little bit, that they're ordained for the ministry, like the pastor is. And they're supposed to take care of the daily ministration. You know what that means? That they got a job to do on a daily basis. This is why I believe that the deacons in the local New Testament church are not the same as the deacons that the average church has today. The average church today has what they call like an associate pastor or an assistant pastor that is an ordained preacher that is on staff, not the pastor of the church, but he's there to help the pastor. That's a deacon. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? That's what the Bible says is a deacon. But today we've made up this fake position of these men who are not, they're not bad people, but these men who are not in full-time ministry, and they're just kind of these checks and balances, just like Congress, where like they make sure the pastor's not spending money, you know, and they, and you know, here's why they have, you know, I'm not going to read the entire chapter for you, but they have them, they have the church members vote the deacons in because the deacons represent the church member. Like, they're like, the, the voice of the church member. And I'm just, I just got to ask the question, where is that in the Bible? I mean, if we're going to be a biblical church, you know, let's follow the Bible. And I just don't find elections in the Bible. I don't find deacons serving for three years. I don't find deacons being laymen. 
I mean, these guys were in the daily ministration. And we're going to see here in a little bit, uh, two of the main deacons were Stephen and Philip that are mentioned. We're going to spend the next few weeks talking about Stephen and Philip, because in Acts 7, all about Stephen. Acts 8, all about Philip. And guess what they spent their time doing? Preaching the gospel. Stephen becomes the first martyr because of a great sermon he preaches. Philip is referred to as the evangelist. And I just believe that in the local New Testament church, the, in the book of Acts, the deacons were full-time employees of the church who were there to do two things. Go soul winning, because that's what Stephen and Philip were doing, and then also take care of the daily administration, the things that the pastor couldn't take care of. And then the pastor's job was to go soul winning and study the Bible, write sermons, and pray. The offices of a deacon. And I just don't find these elections, I don't find these polls, I, don't, I, I just don't find that in the Bible. And I don't understand where these churches get this stuff from. And I know where they get this stuff from, the house church manual. Because you got a you got pastors who aren't going to the Bible to figure out how they ought to run the church. They're going to this other book, the house church manual. The, this book and that book and the back and the thing and they're getting their, their teaching and their philosophy from those books and look let me explain them to you I like Jack House he's a great guy he was a, right on a lot of things but guess what he's not God he's a human being and he obviously can make mistakes and that's why we ought not trust men's books we ought to trust God's book when it comes to spiritual matters that's why Verity Baptist Church the King James Version of the Bible is our it is, is, you know, the standard. It is, it, it is the, what we, you know, believe in all matters of faith and practice. How the things we do, we find in this book. If we can't find it in this book, then we don't do it. Are you ever going to have elections for this office? No, because I can't find that in the Bible. So, you know, but you see there, you know, the mentality that these pastors have in regards to deacons. I believe they were full-time employees. Look at Acts 6.1. The last uh, few words says, The daily... Ministration. There were daily things that were not getting taken care of, and they needed these deacons to help them daily. So I believe full time they were, they were full time employees of the church. Look at verse five, Acts six five, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and. Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they notice what this, when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. So they ordained these guys. I mean, they're ordained ministers. I don't want to ordain a guy for three years and then take the ordination away. That's weird. I mean, if someone gets ordained for the ministry, that that means the Holy Ghost has called you, and that's a lifetime thing. These guys were preachers. They weren't the pastor. They were preachers. But guess what? They have to meet every qualification of the pastor. They have to be able to go soul winning like the pastor. They have to be able to preach like the pastor. They have to be filled with the Holy Ghost like the pastor. Because guess what? If the pastor died, or if the pastor quit, or if the pastor fell in sin, a deacon should be able to take that position and be the pastor. Say, Pastor Jimenez, if, if, if you ever died, should we uh, set up some committee and, and send out all these letters and try to get these pastors to come in here and, and, and we'll vote on them? No. Where's that in the Bible? Show me a committee in the Bible. You say, well, Verity Baptist Church ever have a committee? We will never have any committee. For any reason. So, oh, what if you build a building? Shouldn't you have a committee to figure out what the, you know, what, what the color scheme should be? Or what the, no, you know what? I'm just going to walk into Home Depot and say, I like that color. And I, and I like that carpet. And if you don't like it, then, oh well. You know, well, that's not a good attitude. I just, I, I just don't understand 
where these philosophies come. You, I mean, these pastors, you know, tie their hands. They got a committee to, 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 to bring the coffee, and then they got a committee to bring the donuts, and then they got a committee to set up the chairs, and it's like, and all these people are arguing because they have all these questions. It's just like, just get the job to somebody. You know, either bring the donuts or someone else bring the donuts, but why you set up all these committees? I just don't understand it. And I, I, I'm, I'm teaching this and preaching this because gotta, we got to get to the place in our Christianity where we question everything. You say, that's not a good attitude. That's a great attitude. I mean, the Bible said about the Bereans that they were, they searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. Find it in the Bible. If we're doing something wrong at Verity Baptist Church and you can prove it in the Bible, show it to me. But here, don't come to me with some internet printout of some article you read or some excerpt from a book. If you come for me with this book and show me what I'm doing wrong, but don't come with me with some other book, that doesn't mean anything to me. When people tell me, oh, I've got the, I, I read this article, you know, I'm polite, but it goes in one ear and out the other, because I could care less. But you show me something from this book that we're doing wrong, I'm going li- to listen. Because this is our guide, the King James Bible. These guys were great preachers. Look at, look at uh, we read there the, the end of the chapter. Look at Acts 6. Acts chapter number 6. Look at verse uh, 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and of them of Cilicia and of Asia disputing with Stephen. So these guys are arguing with Stephen. And look what it says in verse 10. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. So these guys are arguing with him and he's just putting them in their place. They're saying, what about this doctrine? And he's just quoting verses to them, showing them the Bible. And they can't miss quiet because he's filled with the Holy Ghost. Then they, uh, stubborn, I don't know how to pronounce that word, I think that's how it's pronounced. Stubborn men, that word there is talking about they, they entice people to just lie, to be false witnesses, just like Jesus. Which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words, and they're just lying and saying things that he didn't do. And, and I don't want to get too much into it, but in Acts 7, uh, Stephen preaches a great sermon, and at the end of the chapter, he becomes the very first martyr of the church there, and he dies. And, and, and he, it's, a, it's a great story there about how he... He said, well, just look at the last few verses of Acts 7. I'll go ahead and steal my thunder, but Acts 7.59 says, and they, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had uh, said this, he fell asleep. And then in, in Acts 8, is all about Philip preaching the Bible and preaching the word and having revivals and getting people saved and, and, and doing great things. These guys were ordained preachers. They were uh, in the ministry. They were there, you know, they, they were there to, to, to help the pastor. And the main, re- the main thing I want you to understand about deacons is that, they, as, as far as I can see in the Bible, these guys were full-time preachers. They just, they weren't the pastor. But they were there to help. And one day, Lord willing, we will have deacons. One day, you know, if our, our church grows to a place where it's just, I can't take care of everything, then we will hire people on who are going to be able to help with those things. But they're going to be taking care of the, you know, serving tables. They're going to be taking care of picking people up. They're going to be taking care of the bulletin. They're going to be taking care of those types of things. The things, you know, so that the pastor doesn't have to get away from reading the Bible, studying the Bible, praying, and those type of things. But we're never... And I repeat, we will never 
have a board of these laymen who are just set up there to like vote, you know, so I can I can go to you know because the average pastor goes to the deacon and says I'm I'm, I'm thinking of um, buying a baptistry for a thousand dollars and then they got, got pick, they they take a vote and these people they say well um, you know uh, did you, did you get the best deal well I looked you know have we looked at this you know well what color you know and they, they it's just dumb you know what I did when I went to buy a baptistry I just bought one I just bought one say I don't like that well then you know I'm sure you could find a church with deacons that'll help you you know go against whatever. But, you know, I, I just, I, God's version of the Bible is just the power is centralized at the pastor, as far as the administration, and the deacons were there to help the pastor. And then look, let me just give you some advice. You say, well, well how do you know that the, that the, that the pastor's not stealing money? If, if you go to a church where you think the pastor's stealing money, maybe you shouldn't go to that church. That's right. I mean, does that, do you understand that? You don't have to have, the, you know, 70, 65 guys there to look over the pastor. If I ever went to, you know, I've been to churches where they have these church meetings, you know, these budget meetings where they go over. And I, I went to it once and they see these little old ladies getting up and questioning the pastor. I see here, you spent $5 at this store. I'd like to see that receipt. It's like, good night. I mean, if you don't trust the man, then go somewhere else. You know, or, or don't put money in the offering plate. And if you don't trust me or whatever, then, get, then just don't put money in the offering plate or go somewhere else. But the office of a deacon is just, it, it's, it's so ridiculous how far away we've gotten from what the Bible says. But I, I also, I wanted you to see that it's supposed to be spent in these things of soul winning. Spiritual things. Getting people saved. Reading the Bible. And so often we've just involved ourselves in, in, in things that waste time for the church. Let me give you some examples. And people, some people don't like this, but, you know, I mean, I don't think anybody here minds, but, you know, people on the internet, I'm sure I'll get emails from people or whatever. But let me give you some examples of how pastors and deacons waste their time at churches. They, they come up with these frivolous ministries that have nothing to do with soul winning. And let me give you the, the most perfect example I can think of is the Christian school. Every church I know of has, you know, not every church, that's not true. I know of a few that don't. But a lot of churches that I know of have Christian schools. And here's the thing with the Christian school. Is if you've ever been to a church where they have a Christian school, the Christian school is like the number one ministry. At First Baptist Church of Hammond, they've got like 20, you know, 20, 25,000 church members. They've got six schools. Three, two elementary schools, two junior high schools, two high schools. And I'm using this as an example, you know, but... Because they're a large church. And they've got a Bible college. You know that all of their schools employ 500 people in order to like take care of all those schools, teach the classes, or whatever. And their church employs 50 people. So like they've got 10 times as many employees to take care of these schools as they do to run the church. Now look, if they have 50 people employed for a church with 20,000 people, I understand that. But isn't it amazing that churches have... The schools in a church will take up ten times the amount of the manpower needed, take up ten times the amount of money needed, take up ten times the amount of space needed, and it's never mentioned, not even one time in the Bible. Show me, show me the, the Christian school in the Bible. I dare you. Can't find it. You say, oh, there's schools in the Bible. Here, here's, here's the schools in the Bible. There's the school of Tyrannus, which is in Acts 19, we'll get to it, who was disputing with Christians, who was fighting against Christians, who did not believe on Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, there's the 
college of the prophets, who is run by Holda the prophetess. So you got a Bible college being run by a woman preacher. I mean, is that godly? That's not, I mean, do you remember on Sunday when we were talking about, it's not permitted for a woman to speak, in, you know. I mean, you think God wants women preachers? And guess what? Go down to Bible college and guess who's teaching those preacher boys? Women. Women are teaching the preacher boys. They're teaching them their classes about this and about that. And they got men too, but same thing. You've got Gamaliel, who was, you know, who they say had a school there and he trained. Who's he training? Saul, who persecuted the church and wrecked you know, havoc on the church. But show me the local New Testament church having a... But see, here's, here's where the average pastor that has a Christian school, here's where they spend their time. Teaching in the school. Being the principal of school. Being the chancellor of the college. Being, you know, this and that or whatever. And they're wasting time and it's like, is that in the Bible? No, you may disagree or agree and say, oh, well, there's nothing wrong with it, there's something good with it. That's fine, but just show it to me in the Bible. You know, at Verity Baptist Church, we will never have a Christian school. We will never have a Bible call. You say, why not? Because I can't find that in the Bible. I can't find where we're supposed to have. And if it's such a, you know, important institution, if it's such an important thing that we must have, then why is it never mentioned, not even once? Why do we never find? You know, you, you say, well, what, what do you think we should do? Should we, you know, personally, I think you should homeschool. You know, well, what about public school? Well, I never, I don't, I don't see God commanding, you know, His people to send His children to be trained by the world. You know, we find in Daniel where the God's kids are being trained by the world. It's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. You know, but uh, I can show you, I can show you verses in uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I can show you verses in the Book of Psalms. I can show you multiple verses where God is commanding parents to teach their children. So guess what we do? We homeschool. Why? Because it's the most biblical thing I could find. And obviously, you know, we've got to make our own decisions, but we've got to get in this mindset where we question everything. You know, we just assume, oh, you know, you know, people ask me, oh, you think, you know, maybe one day your church can start a Christian school. You know, they find out we start a church. Oh, you guys start a Christian school. Go get ACE and start a Christian school. And I think to myself, you know, you just assume we're going to do it because everybody else does it. But is it biblical? Is it scriptural? Is it in the Bible? And it's just, I, I can't find it. Every time I find school, it's a negative thing. Every time I find college, it's a negative thing. And I just, I can't find that in the scripture, so we're not going to do it. But people waste their time with all these frivolous activities. And they, and they forget to do the main thing. They don't keep the main thing the main thing, which is soul winning. I can show you verse after verse where people are knocking doors, going out two by two. I can show you verse by, you know, I, I, I can preach thousands of sermons on the subject of soul winning, door to door soul winning, knocking on doors, getting people saved, and it seems like that's the one thing that churches just kind of forget about. They got these elections for these deacons that I can't find in the Bible. They've got these, you know, schools that I can't find in the Bible. They've got all these other ministries I can't find in the Bible. But the one thing God, the one thing that Jesus mentioned five times on earth, the last words that He said as He ascended up to heaven, that's the one thing. I don't find. We must get to the point where this Bible is our authority, and we, you know, question everything. When if somebody's trying to teach you something, find it in the Bible. Don't have a bad attitude, but find it in the Bible. But if it's not in the Bible, hey, I still like Brother House. We can still be friends, you know, if he wasn't dead. <laughs> but I'm just, I don't, we don't agree there. Because it's just, I don't see that in the scriptures. Anyway, let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for our church. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us.